0: Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Creative Kindergarten Podcast. My name is Amanda, and I'm an early childhood educator in Ontario, Canada. And this is my podcast where I like to talk about different, you know, kindergarten-related topics and reflect on that and, like, just share my thoughts and opinions on different things. And this is actually episode number 60 of the podcast, so I'm pretty excited. Um, I've said this, I guess, before that, you know, I'd never really thought... That I would have enough to talk about to have like 10 episodes of a podcast and now 60 episodes in. Um, I'm really excited to uh, just keep having these new podcast episodes every week and have um, people reach out to me and share their thoughts and feelings about these different things about kindergarten and just, I don't know, it's just a really great way for me to think through different things about kindergarten and really grow in my practice and as an educator which I think is so important um, especially in the early years where we want to make sure that we're continuously learning and um, growing and just really being reflective practitioners of uh, early childhood education. So thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate everybody tuning in to these episodes and for episode number 60 I'm going to be talking about math in kindergarten. (laughs) I've probably done, you know, a couple of episodes probably already on this podcast about math and kindergarten. But as I've said in the past, like I love going back to topics and reflecting on them and I don't re-listen to my old podcast episodes. So I actually have no idea like what I was talking about in those older episodes just because I feel like as I grow my practice and as I keep reflecting on things, like I could change my mind about any one of these topics at any time and I think that's part of being in the kindergarten program like we never stop you know thinking about things doing things differently trying out new things I think there is maybe not one right way to do any of this and so I like um just having the opportunity to just re like look at different topics and so math is one of them and when I asked my Instagram following like what they wanted to see covered math was one of those like ones that kept coming up so I thought I would revisit it a little bit and talk uh, about it. I do have uh, several um, blog posts about math in kindergarten and I'll put a few link a few of those links in the show notes for you as well but um, the first thing I usually always get asked when people talk about math is what are my long-range plans um, for math in kindergarten and I'm um, long range plans in kindergarten are kind of i don't know they're kind of hard because with a play based inquiry based program like it is here in Ontario Canada having long range plans is quite difficult because you know we're following the learning of the ch- of the children or the students in our classrooms and having long range plans like i never we never really stick to them but I'm fully aware that some admin principals, vice principals in some places really want you to have a long range plan. And I do like having the long range plan, just so I make sure I cover a variety of topics as well, because there are in our kindergarten program, there are certain, you know, I'm gonna put this in quotes, but you can't see me like math strains, like I'm putting that in quotes because we don't really do strains in kindergarten, but there's certain like topics that have to be covered through our kindergarten program. So having a long range plan really helps us kind of just make sure we cover the different topics, I guess, and keeps it organized in my brain. Um, so we always had like our school just had a long range plan. I think we submitted the same one every year. Did that mean that we stuck perfectly to like our long range plan throughout the year? No, definitely not. I mean, like if we were talking about measurement and the kids really got measurement and like you know, they were measuring and everything was good. Like we're not gonna stick to it just because our long range plan said all of March, we're gonna do measurement. That doesn't that doesn't have to happen. So, and then vice versa, I guess. Like if we had, we're covering patterning and our students were struggling with patterning or were really interested in patternings and it stretched on longer than what the long range plan said, that's perfectly okay too. So even though we had one and we had different topics for each month or whatever, it wasn't something that we, st- Stuck to very strict strictly, (laughs) and um, the other thing is, when kids are learning in play, just because I was talking about math measurement in my math lesson that day doesn't mean that if the kid is doing patterns while they're playing that I'm not going to point out the fact that there's a pattern in their play. Like I have to be very flexible in what I am noticing um, and naming in the play of the child of the the students in my classroom, so that. Um, I can see all of the different math behaviors and not just the one that we're strictly talking about at the, at that moment, at that moment in time. So again, yes, I had long range plans. Did I stick to them every time? No. And also like could, if, if I was noticing other math, I was definitely pointing that out to our students because, you know, this is the thing about kids learning in kindergarten and then through a play-based program is kids do learn through play. So I've talked about this in previous episodes, but I'm not going to assume that everybody's listened to every single episode of my podcast. But um, so kids learn through play. And as educators, we have to provide different learning opportunities um, for for the students in our classroom. So I've outlined them before and I can't strictly remember like what they're actually called, but I will try to describe them the best that I can. So there's like explicit teaching moments in our classroom. So this is when we're explicitly teaching kids about patterns because we're talking about math. I'll talk about patterns. So um, I'm explicitly teaching this math concept to the kids. I am showing them what a pattern is. I'm explaining what the core is. I'm extending the pattern. I'm doing all of that. And that is the explicit teaching moment. And then there are guided groups. So this is a teacher guided activity where I am teaching them about patterns and maybe I am showing them and having them extend patterns. And this could happen anywhere. And just because I called it a guided group doesn't mean it's happening at the guided table. That's also been another uh, episode of the podcast, I think, all about guided groups where guided Learning does not need to happen at a guided table at a prescribed time. It could happen anywhere at any point in your day. It could happen at any table, it could happen at a dramatic play center, it could happen at a sensory bin. It's just the time when you as an educator are guiding the play to show a concept to that child. And I want to make sure that we're very cognizant as educators that that is not only happening at a prescribed time at a guided table. So we have the explicit teaching and then we have the guided teaching. Those are teacher-led learning times. Now we're going to flip it to more child-led times. So there's other times when I could set up a provocation thinking about patterning. I could set up something at a table with lots of different materials and maybe we've talked about patterning and then my intent is that at this table the kids are going to you know do some patterning because that's the um things that I have set out these could be provocations these could be activities whatever it might be when the child gets there though they're guiding the play that they're doing at that table like they could use those and maybe yes they will be making a pattern but maybe there'll be I don't know retelling a story of of the three little pigs I don't know I'm making something up but maybe they're gonna do something else there and so my provocation didn't exactly lead to what I was doing it's leading to other learning just not about patterning so that's more child-led and then the last one is completely child-led free choice center uh, free choice play and we as educators our role in that kind of play is either to step back and listen to the play because as educators like You can just sit back and listen to what they're saying and you know pick up on what they're talking about and the the skills that they're using or you could be noticing and naming the learning that you see taking place so if you see while they're playing that they're making a pattern you know in their play you can say hey i notice you're making a pattern here so for math i feel like you need all four and there's four but i'm not saying that that needs to be like a 25 25 25 did I say that four times? 25, 25, 25, 25 split between all four in the time of your day. Like, I don't think you should be spending 25% of your day in explicit teaching. I think that would be way too much time, especially for kindergarten students who are so young. Um, yeah, it's not an is an, split for 25% uh, for all of them. I think you need to know your students and you need to know um, how much time they can actually spend in explicit teaching and, and change according to that. But the other, like, they all four of these need to be present for a really great learning to take place. I talked about this, I think it was last week when I did CVC Words, where, you know, kids learn through play and they learn through ex- uh, repeated exposure to concepts. So a kid's going to learn about patterning because you've talked about patterning then you've guided them through some uh, patterning things so that they can practice you've set up some exploration so they can explore patterning and they've also had the opportunity to play and find patterning on their own and those repeated exposures in different um like in the different ways that it kind of um triggers their brain I don't know if that's the right word where it uses their brain in different ways will help reinforce that concept for them, will help reinforce that learning. And again, I said this last week as well, I think it's 10,000 repeats of the same behavior before it becomes a really solidified, you know, connection in their brain um, to have those neurons firing and having that myelin sheath completely, you know, um, like, Uh, strengthened so that you know those pathways are well formed in their brain I say 10,000 and I'm pretty sure that's not the right number but it sounds great but um they need so many repeated exposures before you know that pathway in their brain is really solidified and that they can like you know just start using patterns and know what patterns is. This means that, you know, you're going to have to teach it explicitly because they're they're going to have to know about it, but they also just have to explore it on their own. And so that's where those that play-based rich programming really comes into play because then they're using their different senses. They are, you know, uh, talking through it with their peers. They're seeing it in different places, seeing it out in nature and in different environments. That's really the strength of the play-based program is that that's how the children learn, and that's how in child development, that's that's what, how they're learning. It's all those repeated exposures in different areas, in different environments, in um, different contexts as well. Really helps them, you know, reinforce that concept. So, really, when you're teaching math and different math concepts, again, yes, you might be following that long-range plan because you know you you have to stay or like you have to stay organized in some way, but. You know if you are exploring patterning in October and you know there's just some kids that are not ready for that in October you know they're still getting used to the rules in the classroom this is why I love it being a two-year program in Ontario because maybe that October it's not it's not it's not happening for those kids and that's okay they're learning about other things but then come March all of a sudden you see that there's some trigger in their brain and they're starting to notice patterns outside while they're playing well revisit that patterning revisit those um that that concept with them and start reinforcing it again and then once they come back for year two in october again next year when you go back to patterning all of a sudden it's like some light bulbs have gone off in their brain and those connections are being made and are reinforced and they're ready for that learning and so even though on your long-range plan it says to go into patterning in october you know in march I could be patterning again because that's when my kids are interested in it and they're ready to learn about it. Uh, that's something that, you know, I, I, I like struggle with because you know when you have thirty kids in the kindergarten classroom, r- reaching everybody's needs can be really difficult. But again, the play based program where the kids are playing and learning at their own pace of with their own interests that's where that strength is because maybe you know little Jace is really interested in patterning all of a sudden he's using the patterning I don't know something with patterning with the blocks but then um, little Amaya is really interested in measurement so she's measuring with the blocks instead and that play-based program is really key because you know it lets them explore those things their strengths on their own. Um, Yeah those are kind of my thoughts on like the different uh, math Learning that can take place in your kindergarten program. I think another really big one is to be able to set those learning goals and success criteria with your students. As educators, you know, we have our kindergarten program, and if you're somewhere else, you have a kindergarten like curriculum that you have to follow, and you know what the kids need to be able to do, and it's written in this like really adult language. But You have to make it accessible for the kids so that when they do start noticing that they can do patterns, they're able to start naming their own learning and you're able to name their learning as well. So making sure you're setting those learning goals and those success criteria with your students and talking them through so they know like how they can be successful and how they can reach their goals. Is really important and it's really important to do them with them because I, I you write it on a piece of paper and you put it up on a wall and you mention it one time again is that going to stick in their brains probably not maybe for some kids but not probably not for all of the kids and instead you know creating those learning goals and those success criteria for with your students can be a really powerful way that they can talk about their learning and point out their own learning in their own words which I think is really really important. Another thing I like to think about when we're talking about math in kindergarten is the tools that we might have available to our students in our classroom. So it's not just enough to like you know pull out, I'm trying to think of a math tool, and we're not going to just pull out our um, scales for our measurement unit. We're not like a the balance scales, we're not gonna just pull those out when we're only doing measurement. I feel like a lot of these tools we need to have available to our students to explore at their own time all the time. So we used to always have a shelf available with all of our math tools where the kids can just go and grab whatever they wanted. So, you know, there was snap cubes, loose parts, number posters, um, I don't know, like number, wooden numbers that they could come and use, number lines, uh, tallies, whatever it might be. Like there was a shelf where they could go grab whatever they needed so that they could use it at any time. If they were having a problem and they wanted to be able to solve it and they needed some kind of math tool, they knew where to go for help with that because, you know, it's available to them at any time. And because we talked about it, they knew it was there and they knew that they were able to just go grab it whenever they needed. it. So those math tools that you might have in your classroom, just really talking about them what they can be used for and again explicitly teaching how they can be used and modeling that for your kids can also be really powerful and then I most of the time they would ask like if a kid came up and asked me for something I, I would tell them like do you know where that is I'd be like yes well then you can go get it or if they said no I'd say okay ask your friend see if you can go find it so like as an educator you don't have to like just get up and grab everything that they need of course if they need help with something you can definitely help them but you know using your own discretion Um, a lot of the times i'd say to them like you know where that is and you know how to you know help yourself solve this problem i want you to try on your own and then if you're not successful come back and get me and i will help you and like giving them that agency to see themselves as a mathematician seeing themselves as a learner and putting it on them to help solve their own problems is really powerful because then they start recognizing that they can use those tools to help them solve those problems and as they go through the later grades when they have to pick their tools when they have to make choices in math they can come to recognize that you know I am a mathematician I know what tools I need to be successful and I can pick that tool and that starts way back in kindergarten where we need to give them that agency that you know what you need and you can go get it and I think that's also one of those like powerful things that we can help with in kindergarten with our youngest little little students that we have. Another tool that a lot of the times we have in our kindergarten classroom is like, you know, those number posters that we have on the walls. And I say this often, it's like, where are they in your classroom? And if they're high up on the walls where, you know, kids might not be able to see them, how useful is it to the kids? Like making sure it's down at their eye level so that they're able to see it. Um, as somebody who has worn contacts and braces, uh, braces, contacts and glasses, I did have braces as well, but I've been wearing contacts and glasses since the third grade and I probably needed them way sooner than the third grade. We just didn't realize it at the time. As somebody who probably did fully well need glasses, maybe even back in kindergarten, I remember being very lost in school, not being able to see things on like the, the walls and not being able to see things um, like on the blackboard and things like that. And I think about the little students that we have today, and I'm not saying that all of our kids need contacts or glasses, but what I am saying is if we have it so high up on the walls that they can't see it, it's not useful for them. And you know, they won't be able to access these tools that they need. And so if there's anything that you have up on your walls that you think would be useful for the kids to use, like making sure you bring it down lower so that they can actually see it. If you're creating any charts, I see a lot of educators like pre-making their charts and like they look gorgeous and beautiful and like um, have uh, gorgeous handwriting and colorful and pictures on it and that's great. But again, how is that helpful for the children and the, the students that you have in your classroom? How are they gonna make a connection to the scribbles that because to them, a lot of our kids who are three, four, five years old, those letters that you've written on this chart, they're just scribbles. How are they making a connection to what you've written on the chart to the meaning behind what is on the chart? So instead of pre-making a chart all about patterning, I would instead, you know, make a chart with my students about patterning, have them involved in the process, have them create it with me. And this might be part of my explicit whole group teaching time. And we really go through it and we make it together. The kids come up and they write on it and they get it ready. And then that going up on the wall at their eye level is going to be way more powerful than anything I could just make and then bring into the classroom for them. Um, A lot of the times as well, like the kids would want to make their own Um, charts and stuff like that afterwards as well and I would just let them do it you know here's a piece of uh, chart paper here's some markers go ahead make your own chart about whatever it is that you want to make and again so powerful for them because now they've created it so they've taken the learning that I've taken through I've done through explicit teaching and they're applying their learning in their own way and it can be such a powerful tool for them and such a great learning area so but again you know if you do usually make those charts pre-made for your students i would just urge you to just rethink that practice and rethink how can i make this more um you know co-created with the children instead of me just creating it on my own i'm not saying that everything has to be co-created with the kids i know there are some limits but um a lot of the times i would stop myself from making something and think like oh should I be making this or can the kids make this? And I think that letting the kids have their own say can be a really powerful way to involve them with, in their own learning. Um, I think that's all I wanted to talk about with math and K. Um, as far as like math learning throughout the day, again, it's just all day, every day. It doesn't necessarily just happen to have to happen during math centers. You know, I think that those math centers and provocations are a great way to reinforce the concept as long as you're also you know doing that free choice free play as well like that, there has to be a balance in your classroom um and the, but the math learning is not only stuck to you know are doing math at math time like in the gym they could be doing math in the gym there could be math especially in the outdoors there can be math during art like math can be seen everywhere and the more math you point out to the students. The more powerful it becomes and the more that they see it in their everyday lives which is what we want them to you know make those connections as well so really just thinking about math being everywhere all the time and uh, making those explicit connections if you have any questions about this math um podcast make sure you go over onto my instagram on thursdays i post about that week's episode. Um, and so I will have a post about math learning in kindergarten for this week Um, over on my Instagram if you have any questions leave them in the comments if I always if I get enough questions I'll always redo another podcast about it but uh, there's always so much to talk about and I kind of just skimmed over a bunch of different topics I guess but if there's anything else you want to hear about please let me know I'd love to hear from you I'm at creative kindergarten blog on tpt for Instagram very long but I will link it in the show notes for you Uh, you can also find me over on my blog creativekindergartenblog.com lots of different blog posts about math and I will link again a few in the show notes for you and if you're not always already following this podcast please make sure you follow I put out new episodes every Tuesday about different topics in kindergarten and again I just want to say thank you all for listening to me talk about kindergarten for you know 60 episodes at this point I really appreciate it and I will talk to you all next time bye